The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. We've been studying, uh, this is our ninth lesson on the Great Commission, and I won't try to cover every lesson, but I will, I will kind of review a little bit on this latest section, the implementation of the Great Commission. And uh, I, I, I've stated that we're tools. We are tools in the hands of God, and uh, tools are important. They must be maintained and taken care of. But there are certain characteristics in our life that will make us efficient tools for God, and that's what we've been discussing. So the first, the first lesson we looked at is that we are to walk worthy of our Father, and, and by that term worthy, we, we determine that it means to, to walk befitting God, to walk befitting a child of God, and to, to walk in such a way that, that is becoming to the character of God. Secondly, we said we are to walk circumspectly, and that meant to walk cautiously and heedful, to be heedful of everything we say, to be heedful of everything we do, to, to, to make sure that we are always in control of our, of our emotions, our thoughts, and all these things. We're to walk, we're to live our lives circumspect in, in, in the truth of that we are children of God. Then thirdly, we said that we are to walk in holiness. And of course, we, we stated very clearly that there is no holiness within us, within our natural self, but we have been we have been gifted. We have been um, impu- the, the righteousness of Christ. The holiness of Christ has been imputed to us. Uh, we have the righteousness of Christ available to us if we so choose to walk in in that righteousness. And so we must learn to discipline ourselves and and learn to control uh, our life and 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 walk in the in the power and in the righteousness that is in Christ Jesus. And then, fourthly, we, we began a discussion a couple of weeks ago about we are to walk in the Spirit. And I stated that walking in the Spirit brings to mind some thoughts. First one was, the first word I think of when I think of walking in the Spirit is the word awareness. We are to live our lives with an awareness of the Holy Spirit's presence and influence over us. And I gave the example of, of uh, when, I was a, when I was a lad... When I was a young boy, I, I behaved differently when I was with my dad than I did when I was not with my dad. Any of you can relate to that? Any of you can understand that? I had a, I had a whole different character when I was in the presence of my father. Uh, when I was a boy, for instance, I used to go to the store with my mother, and I wanted some kind of toy or something like that. I'd cry and cry and cry and cry, and mom would buy it for me. Now, I'd get in trouble when I got home, but that was okay. I had the toy. It was worth it. It was a fair exchange. Well, one day I went to town with dad, and I thought it would work on him also. And I started crying and crying and crying, and dad took me down out of the cart and whipped the fire out of me right there in the store. So I got whipped, and I didn't get the toy. I said, wait a minute, this isn't the way it's supposed to work. But... When I was in the presence of my father, I had a different behavior. And when you and I, as God's children, learn to live with an awareness of his presence, his constant presence in our life, it will cause us to live our lives more disciplined. So awareness. Also, when I think of walking in the spirit, I think of the word agreement. And we, we saw from the scripture that we ought to walk 
and, and in the spirit, that we are to yield ourselves to the, to the spirit. And this will, will cause a transformation in our mind, in our body, and in our soul. And we will, we will live in agreement with the, the, the practical uh, principles of the word of God. So walking in the spirit means that we are aware, that we live in agreement. Thirdly, we saw the word compliance. I think of the word compliance. And compliance, we said, is yielding to another's... Does anybody remember from two weeks ago? Compliance is yielding to another's... Starts with a W. Will. It's yielding to another's will. That's, that, that's what we do when we comply. We, we, so when we, when we live in compliance, we yield to the will of God. We yield ourselves to his will. We let, we let him uh, dictate our life and tell us what we will and will not do. Uh, and then I think of the word submission. Now, I said that submission and compliance are slightly different. Anybody remember what, what we yield in when we, when we live in submission? We yield to another's what? Power and authority. That's right. It's, uh, and we looked at the, the fact that it's possible to comply without submitting. And so but we must learn to live in both. We must, learn to, we must learn to comply to God's will and submit to his authority within that will. So this week, this morning, we're going to continue in our examination of these components that make us useful tools in, in the hand of the Lord by, number five, stating that we are to walk in love. We're to walk in love. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I've gotten away from the PowerPoint because I kind of like this. I, I, like, I like seeing you turn to the, to the pages in your Bible and see you looking at the scriptures. I just think it, 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 it slows us down a little bit, but that's okay. Uh, maybe we rush too much anyway. This is a good, a good exercise every week. And and familiarizing ourselves with God's word. Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 1. Paul states here, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in, what's that next word? Walk in love. As Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. We are admonished here to walk in love. Now, as I consider this, as I think about this, there's three aspects to this, to this command to love that I think we have to, we have to consider. First, letter A in your study sheets, we are to walk in love towards God the Father. We are to walk in love towards God the Father. Turn with me quickly to Matthew chapter 22. Let's all go to Matthew chapter 22 together. I keep saying I'm going to have a Bible, Bible drills and uh, bring in a bunch of Snickers bars and reward those that can get to it first. It always worked in my teen class. Those guys were like speed demons. You know who would always win? I'll give you one guess. Anybody know? Brenda. Brenda would always win. I, I, had, to, I had to get to the point where I, I had to give her everyone else a 10-second head start because uh, Brenda was the fastest on the gun. Matthew 22, and let's look at verse 37 together. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. So we are to, we are to walk or, or live our lives in love toward God the Father. 
Now, I'm pretty confident that no one here this morning who professes to be a believer needs to be told that we are to love God the Father. I think, I think all of us here know that, right? We're all pretty much aware that we're to love God. However, when, when examining or when observing the lives of many who claim to be God's people today, it doesn't seem that they, they apply this belief to their everyday life. Uh, the ability to walk in love is the result of the Holy Spirit in our life. In Galatians 5.22, we read, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, so forth. The very first item on that attribute listed in that list is love. And the the world is familiar with love, but the type of love that we're describing here is unfamiliar to the world. See, the world loves for what it can get out of love. The world loves because it gets something back. But the love of the Father, think about it for a moment. God loves us, but what do we, what do we give him in exchange? Just think about that for a second. Don't, don't speak out, but think about it. What do you give God in exchange for the great love that he's given you? Often neglect. You, you neglect him. You don't, you don't spend time to his glory. You don't, you don't pray like you should. And I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just being truthful. We do, not, we do not show God our great love for him, but yet he shows his love every day and in every way. Uh, and this is because the only way that we can exhibit this type of love, which is in the Greek the agape love, is by the indwelling spirit of God. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we will not have the ability to, to love God as we should. As I said, it's the very first attribute listed in the fullness of, in the, of the Holy Spirit. When we live a spirit-filled life, we will possess love. And we will possess love for God the Father. Now, this love for God the Father is the engine that should drive our lives. We should be driven by the love of God. And, and we should be driven, firstly and foremost, by, the, by his love for us. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, John writes, We love him because he first loved us. The Bible teaches that God loved me before the foundation of the earth. The Bible teaches that God knew me and loved me and set his heart upon me before he ever formed anything. God loved me long before I ever even knew of God. He loved us. It is easy to love and care about those that love and care about you, right? How many of you agree with that statement? It's easy to love the people that love you. But it's not so easy to love those that despise us. It's not so easy to love those that that abuse us. But that is exactly the type of love that God has for his children. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We should already be in Matthew. Let's go to chapter 5. The Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. And we're going to begin reading at verse number 43. These are the words of our Savior here as he preaches his Sermon on the Mount. He starts out in verse 43. 
Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. And that's the philosophy of America today. That's the philosophy of, unfortunately, many Christian people. Love those that love you, but go ahead and get even with those that don't. Let's read on in verse 44. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now that's, that's, that's hard. That's really tough. I'd have to be, I'd have to be honest here and stand and say, I haven't been able to do that perfectly throughout my Christian life. And I would dare to say neither of you. We, we have a hard time with this. With loving those that hate us and curse us and which use us and persecute us. But look at verse 45. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Verse 46. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? In other words, Jesus said, you haven't proven anything, you haven't shown anything in your heart by loving those that love you. Because that's easy to do. It's easy, it's easy, to, to, it's easy to love the people that love us. In verse 47, and if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? In other words, if you say, okay, okay, I tell you what, I'm only going to love Christian people. I'm not going to love unsaved people. Well, I'm sorry, that doesn't cut it either. Not, not only our brethren are we to love. Verse 48, be therefore perfect, even as your Father which in heaven is perfect. Now, of course, we understand that perfection for us is impossible, but what, what he's saying there is be understanding or be knowledgeable. Understand what I'm trying to tell you. Understand the principle here. And that is that we are to love everyone, regardless of what they do to us, regardless of who they are. We are to love them. God loved me when I was unlovable. And I can promise you, if you'd have known me before I was a Christian, you would have considered me unlovable. I was a, I was a mean sort I used to pick on religious people. I found it fun to pick on religious people. I just enjoyed it. It was, it was joy to me. I had, a, I had a, some friends who were Christians, and I just made fun of them all the time. He loved me when I was unlovable. He loved me when I despised him. And when I lived my life in such a manner that I dishonored him. And, and that I flaunted my unrighteousness right before him. He loved me. And God loved you when you were unlovable. And he loved you when you despised him. We were haters of righteousness. Yet he is worthy of our love. So first, we are to, we are to walk in love towards God the Father. And, and, and by, by saying we love God the Father means a lot more than, than just what meets the mind. It's to, it's, to, it's to live a life that honors him. It's to live a life that, that, that glorifies him. It's to live a life that shows, that demonstrates that we love him. You husbands understand this principle. 
You spend most of your life trying to prove to your wife that you love her, right? You spend a small, you spend a small fortune trying to demonstrate that you love her, buying her flowers, taking her to dinner, buying everything under the sun. Here you are, you, you're, you're sitting in your living room looking at that new motorcycle and saying, oh, yeah. And your wife comes along and says, honey, you know what I want? And you close the book and say, sure. We, we, we demonstrate our love to our spouse, and that's the way it should be. But what do you do? What do you do to demonstrate your love for God the Father? What did you do yesterday to demonstrate you love him? What have you done today to demonstrate to God the Father that you love him? Not to me that you love him. Don't demonstrate to me that you love him. Demonstrate it to him. Show him that you love him. Live your life in such a way that God is pleased. That God looks down at you and, and is pleased at what he sees. That's the, that's the kind of love we're trying, to, we're trying to get this morning in our hearts. We, we walk in that kind of love. A love that touches the heart of God. But then secondly this morning, the second aspect of our command to walk in love would be this. That we are to walk in love towards Christ, our Savior. Now, we understand, of course, the Trinity, that God the Father and God the Son are one, but they, they are yet separate. And we are to walk in love this morning. We're to live our lives in such a manner that demonstrates our love for Christ the Savior. Turn with me to John chapter 14. We're going to look at a few scriptures from there. John chapter 14. Just a little jaunt through the Gospels. And let's look at verse number 15. John chapter 14 and verse 15. We read here the words of our Savior. If ye love me, what is that next word? Everybody. Keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. Now that word, that word keep is a small word, isn't it? You ought, to, you ought to do a word study someday on the word keep. It would amaze you what you would, dis, what you would discover that the word keep means. I did that once in Proverbs, studying through Proverbs, and I was, I was astounded when I discovered the meaning of the word keep. It will transform your, your, your manner of thinking, I promise you. If you. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my Commandments. Look at verse 23 in this same chapter. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Now look at verse 24. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the words which ye hear is not mine, but the father's which sent me. It is one thing to say you love someone. But it is another thing entirely to prove it. Take a look at the person sitting next to you this morning. If you, if, husbands, if you're sitting with your wives, and wives, if you're sitting with your husband. Just take a look. If you're not sitting next to your spouse, just imagine in your mind that you were. And just look at each other and say, I love you. Go ahead, do that. Tabor won't say he loves his wife. I don't know what's his problem over there. It's easy to say that, isn't it? It's easy to say, I love you. 
But again, as I, as I stated with our father, what do, what do we do to demonstrate that love? What if, we, what if we, we spend all of our time, husbands, what if we spend all of our time hanging out with friends or running around doing, doing our, our favorite things and we don't spend any time with our wives? Do you think she's going to be convinced that we love her? Do you think your wife will be convinced you love her if you never see her? If you never spend time with her? Of course she won't. We, we demonstrate our love by being present, by, by honoring their wishes, by, by doing those things that we know they, they want us to do. That's how we demonstrate our love for our spouse. And the way we demonstrate our love for our Savior, he tells us, is to keep his commandments. To obey his words, to do the things he's told us to do. Now, I could spend weeks standing here just preaching about what Jesus has told us to do. But I think you get the understand, I think you get the drift of what I'm trying to say. When I go somewhere I shouldn't go, am I keeping the commandments of Christ? No. When I say things I shouldn't say, when I look at things I shouldn't look at, Am I keeping the commandments of Christ? No, I'm not. Therefore, am I showing my love for him? No, I'm not. I'm not showing my love for him when I do those things. True love will lead one to obedience. I mean, look at verse 15. And and, uh, again, John chapter uh, 14. If ye love me, Jesus said, keep my commandments. Now, this is pretty simple to understand. That's a pretty simple statement. And it's impossible to argue against it. You can't argue against the statement made by Jesus that if you love him, you will keep his commandments. If you love someone, you will desire to please him in all things. And this must be our motivation to please the Lord. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10, Paul wrote, That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So Paul says that, that we, need to be, we need to be pleasing unto the Lord and increasing in his knowledge. Now, to accomplish this, to live this kind of life, is not going to be easy. And it will require some characteristics in our lives that I want to share with you. And the first one is this. It will require commitment. It will require commitment. For us to live our lives and and demonstrate our love for Christ, to live our lives in in obedience to him, will take commitment. Psalm 37, verses 5 and 6, we read, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. To live our lives in obedience to Christ is going to take commitment. Our love for Christ should cause us to conduct our lives in such a manner that Christ is first and foremost in all we do. Christ needs to be the center of our lives. Totally committed to him. And every decision we make places Christ right in the center. 32 years ago, I got saved. And when I got saved, I knew, with no doubt in my mind, that I needed to be in church. 
So for 32 years, I don't consider doing anything else on Sunday but being in church. There is no other place a Christian should be on Sunday than sitting in the house of God, hearing the teaching and the preaching of his word. If we do anything else, we fail to demonstrate our love for him. We fail to obey him. The world's favorite idea is, well, God understands. No, God doesn't understand. God understands obedience to him, and he doesn't tolerate anything else. You know, when I was, when I was a boy, everybody was in church on Sunday. Everybody, except the atheist. And now, every, every, every Sunday morning, all the stores closed. There were no stores open on Sunday. I mean, if you needed a gallon of milk, you better own a cow. Because you weren't getting any milk on Sunday. I lived, I lived in a rural area in the country, and, and stores closed. And they closed because the owners were in church. Yeah? Businesses shut down. There were no stores. There were, there were no businesses open on, no factories open on Sunday. Uh, these things, they all closed on Saturday. And Sunday, Sunday was the Lord's Day. And everybody knew it. Times have changed. This is a 24-7, 365 world now. Everything is available at any time. But we must, as God's children, we must be committed to him. Christ is first and foremost in all things that we do. Put him in his will. Again, compliance to, to Christ. To comply to Jesus means we, we yield to his will. Put his will above all things. Uh, but Sunday's my only day off, and it's the only day I get to go to the beach. Well, take a day off work. Hmm? Take a day off of work and go to the beach with your family. Well, you expect me to lose money? I expect you to honor Christ. I expect you to put him first in your life. I expect you to prove to him that you love him. Hmm? What, what, go to your wife on her birthday and say, Look, honey, I'm sorry. I'm, you're not worth losing a day of work. Okay, I'm going to go to work today, and you just have to celebrate your birthday by yourself. I don't think she'd be too happy with that. She wouldn't, of course, mind you going to work, but the fact that you putting work ahead of her would probably bother her. So is it okay for us to put the other things ahead of Christ? No, it's not. We're, we're to be committed to Christ. You'd say, you're not making any sense. When I first got saved, and I'm not trying to set myself up as an example, but when I first got saved, I owned a construction company. My father and I owned a construction company. And I, I ran buses. I was a bus captain. And my daddy came to me one day and he said, son, my daddy is not saved. He came to me one day and he said, son, I'm worried about this. If you go get in an accident on that bus, people can sue you and they can sue our company. They can take everything I've worked for all these years and take it all away from me. And I don't know about this. So I picked up the phone. I said, don't worry about it, Dad. I called our, our lawyer and I told him, I said, I'm going to be down there this afternoon. I want you to draw up the papers. I'm signing over all my shares of the company back to Daddy. And I did. I went to the attorney's office that afternoon. I signed all the papers. I signed everything back over to my father. And I quit. And I went home, and Erica was just a baby. 
I don't think she might have been she might have been a month or two. And and Patsy, my wife, was working in our Christian school at the time. So I laid her on the floor and I opened my Bible and I knelt down and I prayed. And this is what I prayed. And Lord, I'm going to put my foot in my mouth this morning, but I'm going to do it. I knelt down and I prayed to God. I said, Father, I promise I will never take a job that puts that, that will cause me to have to put you second. I promise you now I'll never do that. And, and God, all these years, has honored that. He's honored that, that commitment I made to him that day to put him first and foremost in my life. Now, that limits me. I'm, I'm unemployed right now. I have been for 22 months. That, limit, that limits my options. You know how hard it is to find a job today where you don't have to work on weekends? But I made a, I made a promise to God, and Ecclesiastes warns us about committing, making a promise unto God and not keeping it. How committed are you today? And I, again, I'm not trying to set myself up as an example. I, I hate to do that. I know that's not the thing to do, but this is just being used as a teaching point. How committed, how, how committed are you today to Christ? We must be committed. But not only does that type of life take commitment, secondly, we must have contentment. Contentment. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. We read, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Now this matter of contentment is a very difficult thing for a generation of entitlement people. See, we, we were, we've, been, we've been raised to believe we're entitled to everything. We've been raised to believe, at least the younger generation, I was, and I was raised, I was raised by depression-era parents, depression-era parents, but a lot of this younger generation, they, they, believe they're, they believe they're entitled to everything without having to do anything for it. It's just, it's my right, I'm entitled to it. Well, Paul tells us we didn't bring anything into this world. A baby's born absolutely naked and penniless. I, I, I don't know, Lauren, Lauren worked in delivery. Would you ever see a child born with a checkbook? Uh, with an ATM card? Uh-uh. We come into this world with nothing. No food, no clothes, no money. Nothing. Everything has to be provided for them. But you know, it's something about a baby. They're just content, aren't they? It's just as content as that. A baby is never more content than to be laying in his mother's arms. We, we didn't bring anything with us. And, and by the way, we're not taking anything with us. We're not taking anything out of this world. The old saying, you, you never see a U-Haul following a hearst. Huh? Matter of fact, Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes that all the things we labor and work for will be given to somebody else. Somebody else is going to live in that house that we value so much. Somebody else is going to drive that car that we, we desire to own. Somebody else is going to have our job. Someone else is going to, going to get our money. So what is contentment? Well, contentment is satisfaction with your life exactly the way it is. But the philosophy of today is bigger and better. We need bigger and better things, don't we? we? To be happy, we need bigger houses, we need better jobs, we need more possessions. Bigger, better, more. 
And in this there is never satisfaction. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 8, we read, All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Solomon said, no matter how much you have, your eye is never satisfied. You always want more. You always want more. You always desire more. More, bigger, better. That's the, that's the nature of this world. But what is contentment? Well, I have a statement on your sheet, and this, this is the answer for the blanks. Contentment should not be based on our circumstances. Contentment should be based on our position in Christ. Whether we're, Paul said, I know how, I, I know how to abound and I know how to be abased. Paul said, I'm content if my cupboard's full, I'm content if my cupboard's bare. I'm content if my, if my wallet's full, I'm content if my wallet's empty. That's what Paul is saying. In all things, I'm, I'm content. Paul said, I'm happy because of my position in Christ Jesus. You realize if you're saved this morning, that heaven is your home. What more can you desire than that? If, if, we, if we're called upon on this, on this earth, on this life, to, to suffer a little bit for Christ, is that too big a price to pay for the eternity in, in heaven we'll have? Of course not. So we, we need commitment. If we're, if we're going to live a life of obedience to Christ, we're going to have to have commitment. We're going to have to have contentment. And then thirdly, we're going to have to have courage. Courage. In Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 6, the Bible states, Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. This is, this is the angel of God speaking to Joshua. And he tells him, Don't be afraid, Joshua. God will not forsake you. He will never leave you. He'll be with you at all times. Be of, be of a good courage. Be strong. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 13, Jesus sta- or Paul states, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. It is fear that defeats a people. A nation, a country falls to another. One country conquers another because of, because of fear. Conversely, you can never conquer people of courage. You might defeat them, but you never conquer them. Do you understand what I'm saying? I can be beaten, but I can't be ruled. That's what I'm saying. Uh, I think about the three Hebrew children. King Nebuchadnezzar lifted up the great idol and, and, and proclaimed a law that everyone would bow down and worship that. And the three Hebrew children said, no, we won't. We won't bow down and worship your image. And what they were telling Nebuchadnezzar is this. You can kill our bodies, but you got no control over us. We're going to honor God. And that's what it takes to, to live a life of obedience to Christ takes courage. It takes, it takes realizing that you may have to endure persecution. You may have to endure suffering. But in the end, it is Christ that will have the victory. You cannot be conquered. Walk in love toward God the Father. Walk in love toward Christ the Son. And then lastly and quickly, let us see, we're to walk in love toward one another. 
1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Now herein lies a great truth. The one sure test of our salvation is this ability to love. John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, made it very clear that any man who does not love the brethren is not one of Christ. Jesus also declared this attribute as evidence of our faith. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, we read, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Evidence not only to yourself and your own heart, but evidence also to the believers around you, and evidence to the world itself, that you are a child of God, because you have this ability to love. An ability the world does not have. Again, the world can love for the things that it will gain. But the love cannot love, the world cannot love as Christ loved. Unconditionally. Sacrificially. Without any hope of return. That's how Jesus loved us. And that's how we are to love one another. Woe be unto the person that sits in a church and claims to be a child of God. And does not love his brethren. Does not love God's children. Now, I've said it before, it's possible to love someone and not like them. You don't have, it didn't say that we have to like them necessarily, but we have to love them. And, and that means to show them respect and, and to, 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 to show them dignity and treat them well and treat them right. Maybe we don't want to hang out with them. Maybe we don't want to fellowship with them necessarily so much. But we love them. We love them. Love is a powerful tool in the hands of Christ. And it is imperative that we examine our lives and our hearts and ensure that we are walking in love as God has commanded us to do. Let us all take the time and the opportunity over the next several days to look at our hearts and ask ourselves, do we really love the way God commands us to love? And, and study in God's word and discover what it means to love and then let it permeate our lives. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.